Hello everyone, my name is Naomi Williams and welcome to Dawning Diabetes Podcast where we talk about type 1 diabetes, other autoimmune disorders, and healthy living. Hello everyone, it's been a little while since I've spoken to you guys, but I am excited to continue giving you guys health info. So today we have special guest Dr. Donald Glass, who is a dermatologist. He is the president of the Skin of Color Society, which is an organization that spreads awareness on skin health for primarily minorities and they educate future dermatologists as well as the community. He will share his expert information with us on skin health. And I was excited to learn information from this interview y'all because I struggle with eczema from time to time and this can be caused by my blood sugars not being in range or hormones. And I want to get that summer glow okay and i want clearer skin too so for those of you who want clearer and healthier skin he will share tips on how to achieve this for spring slash summer and any season please do not take any information or story shared on this podcast as medical advice please consult with your doctor or medical professional before changing your health plan Welcome, Dr. Donald Glass. He is a dermatologist who specializes in skin disorders and published research on keloids and skin genetics. He graduated from Baylor Medical School and is a professor at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. And he is going to share his expertise on skin health today. Welcome to the show. Good day. Uh, thank you, Ms. Williams. It is a pleasure to be on the show. Show. So thanks for having me. Yes, no problem. So how many years exactly have you practiced dermatology? Oh, gosh, I have been a board certified dermatologist for just over 10 years now, about 10 years. So uh, finished medical school 2007, did a year of just general medicine started here at South UT Southwestern in 2008 to 2011. My residency training set for the boards. I've been practicing now as a board certified dermatologist for about 10 years. So this June only 10 years exactly. Wow, that's amazing. That is so amazing. Okay, so first question is, how can people improve their skin health? Um, That is a great question, Ms. Williams. And I think there are a lot of little tricks that we can do, things you don't necessarily think about that can be helpful. Um, I think it's a really important thing starting off to say that skin is uh, at times an outward reflection of our inner self. And so the more we take care of our inner being, the more our skin's able to kind of uh, show that off. So um, simple things like, you know, good, healthy diet. And I know we kind of delve into that a little bit, a little bit later on, but, you know, eating healthy foods also reflects on the outside as well. Um, getting adequate sleep, you know, those bags under the eyes from being tired can be right. a you know, telltale sign. Um, and then, you know, minimizing smoking if folks do smoke, And then I think other things like just using good moisturizers, making sure that we have, we kind of help the skin remain hydrated and and supple. And so not having to deal with dryness and cracking and things along those lines as well. And so, um, and then 
Um, also with gentle skincare, you know, washing once or twice a day using a gentle techniques to kind of remove dirt, but not trying to scrub the skin clean so hard that we end up damaging the skin, trying to clean it. And so those are just little things that we can do to kind of help overall improve our skin. Wow. That's amazing. So you mentioned, um, so don't scrub so hard, um, to damage the skin. So, um, if people like rub their skin or like wash their skin obsessively, does that cause damage or. So, you know, um, I would say that everything can be too much if done to excess. Right. And so What'll, what'll end up happening is, um, I think, and especially we're talking, for example, patients who may be diabetic, sometimes they can have what we call acanthosis nigricans. They'll have this sort of velvety appearance sometimes in the, in the folds yeah. and they think it's dirt. So they end up scrubbing and rubbing and rubbing and scrubbing. And sometimes that then causes it to actually get thicker and darker as a consequence of that. Um, and so you know, a good facial moisturizer, a good cleanser once or twice a day with a either a thin washcloth or even just using your hands oftentimes ends up being better than getting that like loofah and really trying to like scrub dirt out. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes that irritation or abrasion can then lead to skin changes that we don't want. Right. No, that's so true. And you mentioned um, the darkness and that's true. Like a lot of diabetics um, can develop this too. And I know it, it, it can also be a sign that you have diabetes like type one or type two as well. Um, Cause I had that before I was diagnosed. So yeah, that, that is um, something um, that, but I didn't know what it was. It was called that. So that's, that's good to know. And, 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 and the thing with, as you mentioned with that, uh, that, that condition, it kind of like, and it, it makes the skin look dirty. And so folks sometimes feel they need to kind of try to scrub or they're not doing a good enough job cleaning their skin, where oftentimes if it's linked to their diabetes, if they can get their sugars under control better, it'll go away on its own, you know? Yeah. And so, and so you just keep kind of keeping with your good skincare techniques and then managing your, your health uh, and other aspects of your, of your health can improve the skin in that regard too. Yes, that's so true. Um, managing your blood sugars is, is key. Um, so yes. Um, so should someone change their skin routine every season, like fall, winter, spring, summer? Also a great question. And I think it really depends on how much your, how much the, 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 the temperature and the weather changes. And then what your skin tends to be a bit more kind of predisposed to. Right. And so, and I guess the way I'll describe it is some folks tend to have a bit more oily skin. And so we're trying to make sure uh, pores don't get clogged. um, And we're trying to help minimize all that oily secretions, which is good because sometimes be aggravating because of dirt and things kind of build up. And then some folks tend to be more dry skin where we're trying to help trap moisture in the skin. You know, skin gets dry, ashy, may predispose to like itchiness, things along those lines. And then depending on where you live, if you're in a very warm, temperate, humid area, because of all the moisture around, Mm -hmm. the dry skin folks tend to benefit and the oily skin folks tend to have it a little bit worse because they're sweating a bit more and pores are doing more work. And then 
if you're in a dry, cold environment, the oily skin folks tend to kind of even out and the dry skin folks tend to have a little bit worse because the air is yeah. now dry too to worsen the dryness. So um, I think in, I'd say in general, let's take someone who lives someplace where it gets hot in the summer and cold in the winter, like here in Dallas, it gets just cold enough and definitely warm enough. And in the cold times, you've got the, the heater on and that's drying out the air more. So, you know, summertime, you want to be washing your skin, like we said, being very gentle with it, trying not to spend lots of time in the water because that can just the water itself can dry out the skin. Um, and then, you know, come winter time, you're using a bit more of your moisturizers. You may decide to use a humidifier just to help keep the air in the house moist. So you're not drying out as you sleep um, and paying a little bit more attention to things along those lines. Whereas if someone's living, you know, like I'm from the Bahamas originally. And so, you know, cold for us is 60, right? So, right. 60 <laughs> so, um, so what happened was never had to worry about my skin drying out because it was always near the water. It's always humid. Um, right. And so it's just dealing with more of the oily skin issues. And then coming out of Dallas, I got to make sure I use my moisturizers a bit more because if I don't, I'll start to get a little bit of an eczema-like reaction and certain ears are getting itchy, which never happened when I was growing up. And so I think for your dry, winter, cold, heaters on, everything's trying to make everything super dry. Um, then you want to make sure you use your moisturizers, your humidifiers. Um, and when I say moisturizers, more creams or ointments than your lotions. For folks who have dry skin, you put the lotion on and it seems to just be dry again in like five minutes. And so yep, those creams, true. creams, ointments, even plain petroleum jelly, even though it's a little greasy, makes a nice buyer to help kind of trap moisture in. And then in your hot summer areas, you want to make sure you um, maybe take a bit more frequent baths, put your moisturizer on right after you come out the bath or your shower. Um, and then try not to use, um, let's say makeup or cosmetics that are, that, that clog the pores. So you're uh, non-comedogenic, make sure it says, you know, either acne free or non-comedogenic. It's specifically designed to not clog your pores and make acne worse or things along those lines. So those are little tips you could do depending on where you live. Oh, wow. So I never heard of like, um, like a cream that will prevent, um, you know, like, I guess what you were mentioning is the pores, like clogging pores. So that's something, that's something new. I didn't know they, they had things like that. Yeah. And what, what, what can happen is, for example, you've got a cream or you've got um, foundation or something along those lines. And it doesn't necessarily say on the package <laughs> that it's okay, but it, it's not going to tell you, Hey, you know, makes acne worse, you know? Right. Um, but um, ones where they've actually done studies to make sure it doesn't worsen acne will put on the package non-comedogenic. And so, you know, those ones are good for folks where um, otherwise, because the makeup may clog pores in people who may be acne prone, it can then make their acne worse. And so I think if someone's dealing with acne or notices, hey, every time I put on this moisturizer or this makeup or something along those lines, my acne seems to get worse. They want to maybe try to find brands that have specifically non-comedogenic because those they make sure don't clog the pores aren't, and aren't going to predispose to acne. 
Wow. I did not know that. Okay. And then for people with eczema, um, you just say maybe do like, well, depending on their skin type, maybe do like a cream or ointment or like maybe oil. Is that something that could be used or oils are good creams and ointments are good usually for folks who have very dry skin or your eczema like skin your kind of just generic lotions aren't going to cut it like they they need mm. a bit more tender loving care right <laughs> and so you, you want and you you want something that's good but not irritating or full of so many chemicals that now something may cause a reaction or cause an allergic response. So honestly, from the dermatology perspective, we love plain petroleum jelly. Like I said, it's greasy, but it's pretty bland. And mm-hmm. so we're not worried about it causing an allergic reaction versus um, some of those products that have, you know, papyrus scented and yellow colored have chemicals that can cause an allergic reaction for folks who have very sensitive skin. And yeah. so the simpler, the better, you know, there are other brands and I'll, I'll use brand names just for brand names sake, Cetaphil, CeraVe, um, Neutrogena, Aveeno. They're a bit more pricey, but they've tried to make sure that there's few, fewer things in there that can cause um, reactions or irritations or allergic react or allergic reactions. Um, and so, but when in doubt, you know, your kind of plant, you know, your baby oil, your coconut oil, your petroleum jelly works really well. You just want to make sure if you're putting something on to moisturize and five or 10 minutes later, your skin's still moist versus being ashy and dry again, that, you know, the product's working. Um, And then one really good tip is, um, especially if you have sensitive skin or dry skin, when you come out of the bath or shower, that's the best time to put your moisturizer on you know, five or 10 minutes, lukewarm, you know, not the super hot because that's going to kind of help dry out the skin too. And then when you're done, dry off, pat dry, and then just add your moisturizer right there. So you kind of help trap, trap the moisture in by putting an artificial barrier on the skin as soon as you can. Wow. That is great to know. Like keep the moisture in, make sure there's a barrier when it comes to your skin regimen. And yes, and that works too, because I know I'm from Georgia. Um, so it does get humid as well. Um, not as humid as Bahamas, um, but it does get humid. So that's a good tip for those of us who live in the South and experience, you know, just humid um, conditions at times. Um, Okay, so going on to the next question. So can certain foods improve skin health in the long run? It, it seems that the answer is actually yes. So um, I'm going to start very generic and then actually go to some stuff from an article I read that actually gives a few things that folks can even try to do a bit more. So um, I think kind of broad, like as we had kind of talked about already, um, healthy living leads to healthy skin as well. So your fruits and your vegetables, um, your nuts and your grains, your, your lean, your lean meats, um, and trying to stay from the processed foods, um, trying to stay away from the high, you know, refined sugars, um, are, are things. Uh, and then I was looking, you know, in preparation, just kind of looking some stuff up and there was an article from the Mayo Clinic that had talked about some antioxidant foods that also seem to be helpful too. And so I think in their article, they had mentioned, you know, again, broad brushstrokes, the healthy stuff that we talked about just now, 
um, but some things they'd mentioned in particular, uh, like, like cap- carrots, apricots, some of your orange and yellow flavored uh, fruits and vegetables, spinach and green leafy vegetables, um, nuts, berries, tomatoes, and then salmon, mackerel, and some of those fatty fish because they have the like omega-3 fatty acids on the, on the fatty oils, but the healthy oils. And so those are things they mentioned in particular that might be helpful as to incorporate into your diet. Um, not saying to limit it just to those, but try to be a little bit more, be more deliberate, but adding those in um, versus, you know, the, the hamburger or going to get, you know, the pizza. Um, and some of those things will help over time keep the skin as healthy, as nourished as you can from the inside out. Yeah. That's- and then plenty of water, plenty of water, plenty of water, plenty of water. Yes. I so. have heard that from my doctors drink a lot of water <laughs> and everything. And that's good to know. Starts with the inside. And like you said, it starts with the inside out. So that's a great way um, to put that. Um, so yes. Um, and then we also kind of were talking about food in another um, podcast episode too, um, about um, the health benefits of food. So carrots yes. is good for your skin. It's not, it's you know, just, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, it's not just for your eyes, you know, it's for your skin. So type one and type two diabetics have scarring from insulin injections and insulin pumps. And what do you recommend to these patients who develop scarring over time? And I know you mentioned um, like just some skin, a skin condition that we develop. um, But how can someone treat scarring that we do receive over time? So, um, so a lot of patients who do, you know, uh, insulin injections will, different types of scarring. One I do want to talk about is something called uh, like lipohypertrophy. And so it's sort of like the, because of the injections, the fat under the skin actually kind of thickens and makes the skin more taut. And then one of the consequences of that for patients who are doing, let's say insulin injections is it decreases how well the insulin um, gets absorbed. And so now they're needing to inject more insulin, not that their body needs more, but less is getting absorbed. And then if they go to another body site for an injection, now there's too much insulin being absorbed normally. And so you have all these issues with getting your, uh, your blood sugars and your insulin levels under control. Things that can be done to try to minimize or prevent that, trying to rotate, rotate sites and try not to go to the same site you know, multiple times. Um, just so it gives the body time to heal and minimize that reaction process. Um, you know, abdomen works a little bit better absorption wise than the arms, which works a little bit better than the thighs, which works a little bit better than the buttocks. Um, but if folks can at least rotate and kind of, you know, go through those different sites and try to each injection, at least be a, an inch off from the previous site, mm-hmm. you're much less likely to develop that kind of thickening underneath the injection site. And what, what can also happen is because that thickening happens and there's decreased sensation over time, folks like injecting there because it doesn't hurt as much. Right. But you get this vicious cycle of it being your favorite site, but now you're needing to do more and more, increase your insulin to get the absorption. I, I think once there's scarring there, there are some reports of, from, at least from the skin perspective, um, like vitamin, a vitamin E, aloe vera, to some degree, cocoa butter, trying to help 
get the skin to calm down and minimize that scoring process, help things revert a little bit closer to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but oftentimes, once you have that true scar present, I'm not talking more so in the skin and not so much under the skin, it's hard to get that to revert back to normal easily. And so prevention being better than cure, you want to kind of rotate like we had talked about, um, try to, if you can, ideally a different needle each time you do an injection so that the needle doesn't become coarse and cause more of a reaction. Uh, when you, when you use, when you multiply, you reuse needles multiple times. And then like I said, spacing out and varying where you do the injection so that by the time you get back to that spot, it's reverted back to normal and hasn't built up that thickening in the skin and beneath the skin. Right. No, that is so true. Um, yes. And even our endos um, tell us this too, as well to, to rotate um, your sites. And that's good for newly diagnosed type one, type two diabetics, because yes, please rotate. Um, that's essential. And um, yeah, that that's a, that's a key thing. And I didn't think about vitamin E um, to use on the skin. So um, that's a, that's a good tip. Yes. One other thing, I, I think thankfully, at least dealing with patients that I have with keloids, I haven't seen many folks develop true hypertrophic scars and keloids from their injection sites, mm-hmm. thankfully. But I think if folks are noticing thickening or some scarring of the skin, things that I would recommend would be similar to what I would do for keloid patients in general. And that would be saying you can use what's, like, what's called silicone sheets. Uh, you can buy these. They're over the counter. They look like Band-Aids, but don't have the uh, gauze. Mm-hmm. But just the silicone kind of being applied over that area can sometimes decrease the chance for hypertrophic scarring and keloid scarring. And then some of your, even doing those, some of the over the counter topical steroids might help a little bit, but then you're running that risk because you're using a topical steroid to decrease inflammation, being a bit more prone to infection of the injection site. And so that's something you kind of have to, to, to weigh risks and benefits. But I would say those are also things if we're talking not just not just deep, but also superficial starting to see hypertrophic scarring, the silicone sheets um, or compression and then even topical steroids might help minimize that inflammatory process mm-hmm. that can lead to scarring. Oh, OK. Have you seen um, keloids form in any diabetic patients um, that you've worked with over the years or? I've I've had. Several patients who are who are diabetic also develop keloids. Uh, again, thankfully, they, it's been extremely rare for me to have seen them in their injection sites, thankfully. Um, but when they get cuts and when they get um, cuts or surgeries or piercings or that, that sometimes those will be enough to trigger that, that keloid response. Right. And... Um, and so we'll, you know, oftentimes use steroid injections. I think, thankfully, those injections into those scar, the keloid scars tends to be local and not flowing systemically. The intralesional works or seems to affect differently than your, you know, intramuscular or interabdominal injection of, of, of steroids. And so we're not so worried about sugar levels going up and needing to do more insulin to combat that. But I, I have seen folks, and I said, thankfully, 
um, there doesn't seem to be a huge increased propensity to get them to develop keloids or hypertrophic scars with those like 30 gauge and 27 gauge needles used for, uh, for the uh, injections, just the very small insulin type needles, thankfully. Yes, that that's good um, to hear. And also, can you define um, what keloids are? Because I know what it is. Um, you, sure. Of course, you know what it is because of your research, but other people may not know. So could you um, define it for us? Sure thing. So and, and I'll, I'll use this as an example. So let's say someone goes and they get a they have heart surgery and they open up the chest and afterwards they're if you know everything's put back together and they're doing great there's going to be some sort of scar. And if the scar is just there, it's a scar. Sometimes that scar will look like a speed bump. It, it's raised up, but it still stays exactly where the surgeons cut. That's what we call a hypertrophic scar. You know, speed bump, but the scar remains the same size, just raised up. And then sometimes the scar can almost turn into like a pseudotumor. <laughs> And it'll grow up, but it'll also start to grow left and right and up and down and invade into the skin nearby and almost send little projections out as well. And that's your keloid where the scar is now kind of invading into the normal skin nearby and kind of taking over and taking more space than it's supposed to. Um, And so those ones tend to have a bit of a life of its own, a mind of its own. And so there's a lot of different things we'll try to stop them from growing further sometimes we'll try to cut out that scar but you can now see if scarring before led to overgrowth and now we're cutting out the overgrowth we may get overgrowth again and so you have to do a bunch of different strategies to try to help minimize that chance for overgrowth and keep it a normal appearing scar Great. Yes. Thank you so much for explaining that. So everyone will know what keloids are. So definitely um, look for that um, in keloids. And is it genetic? Um, I think I was reading something in research. Is it a family genetic thing, a trait? No, it, it, it can be. Um, it, so one, it tends to happen in young folks, teenagers, 20s and 30s, more than other ages, but it can happen at any age, tends to happen to patients with skin of color. So those of African descent like us are more likely to than other ethnic groups and Caucasians are least likely to, but they can get them too. Right. Um, And then sometimes it can run in the family where if mom got it and mom's dad got it, then her kids probably have about a 50% likelihood to have that susceptibility. Um, and we're doing research, myself and other labs are trying to find those genes and those tweaks in our DNA that make that likelihood more possible versus less possible. So, Okay, that's amazing. Have you in your research um, found any um, like treatments or even maybe close to a cure in your research by chance or? So a lot of the treatments that we do tend to be after the fact, right? The scar is there and now we're trying to minimize the scar or um, if we do surgery, things to do to prevent that scar from taking place. There's a prescription medication that we use off label, but there's been a little bit of literature saying that if you use this oral medication, uh, it's called pentoxifiline. It 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 seems to help prevent new scarring from 
taking place doesn't shrink the scars that are there, but at least tries to prevent that signal to grow more Wow! and helps us after surgery minimize that chance for recurrence. The other thing that's really interesting and more data needs to come out to see whether um, it will bear, bear fruit or not is there's some work by our researcher, Dr. Gutman Yasky. She used to do work on atopic derm and eczema still does. And there seems to be maybe some association or similarities with the keloid scars and atopic dermatitis. And there was a patient that she had that had really bad eczema, was put on this medication called dupilumab that helps with really bad eczema. And their keloid scarring seemed to flatten down too. So there's this thought that maybe if we try with more individuals and see a similar effect, we may be able to have something else that can be done that can help minimize keloid scarring or help cause those scars to flatten down over time. So um, I think there's still work that needs to be done before it gets highly touted, but at least with that report, it suggests that possibility. So. Wow. That's good to know. Wow. So maybe, you know, we'll have a cure in the future, hopefully, and we can stop it before it happens. So that would be cool. Okay. And so when should someone um, see a dermatologist? So that's a, that's a great question. I think what I, what I tell folks to do is like, Hey, you know, try some of the things we talked about today, you know, try some of these, um, skincare techniques and tips, because these are things we're going to recommend when you come to see us anyway, right? Um, and a lot of the over-the-counter medications, your uh, adapalene or differin for uh, acne, your hydrocortisone for rashes and eczema, your moisturizers like we talked about, if that's enough, then great, you know? I, I think when your over-the-counter techniques, your your herbals, your holistics don't seem to be enough, that's when it's time to get a dermatologist involved. Um, I think if there's any process where you're noticing scarring, that's when it's time to get a dermatologist involved because the scarring tends to be permanent, right? Mm. And so the sooner we can figure out what's going on, the better off we are. And I, I wanna say something very particular to our, our black women, um, hair is super important to us. If you start seeing hair loss, you start having anything that looks kind of scarring, you start having any sort of itch or pain that's more than typical, just go see your dermatologist and, and make sure it's someone who is well-versed in, in, in hair loss and, and skin of color issues. Um, as you talked about, um, I'm currently president of the Skin of Color Society, and it's an international organization that's really about educating and mentoring and doing research on skin of color issues. And on the website, you can put in where you are and try to find folks that know what they're talking about when it comes to those issues. But especially with hair loss, it's it can be very permanent. And so the sooner we can do interventions to minimize any hair loss or allow for regrowth to take place, the better off the patient is. So I think especially anything with the scalp, we're talking about burning or pain, or you're noticing like a slight recession in the hairline or anything along those lines, 
go to the dermatologist, you know, so. Yes, exactly. So you have heard it from Dr. Donna Glass, you guys. And yes, check out the Skin um, Society. They have an awesome website um, and resources available, educational videos too. Um, So yes, if you want to know more information. All righty. Well, thank you so much for, you know, doing this interview today, Dr. Donald. I appreciate it. Sure thing. Skinofcolorsociety.org. Skinofcolorsociety.org. You can find a doctor there. Uh, Ms. Williams, it is a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for the invitation. Hopefully your, 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 your podcast is well received and we address some of the questions that your, uh, your fans and listeners may have. So. Thank you again to Dr. Donald Glass. We learned how to improve our overall skin health so we can have radiant skin, okay? I want to give some more info to kind of elaborate. So according to the health line, superfoods like avocado and sweet potato can benefit your skin health. Avocados have vitamin C and E, and as Dr. Glass mentioned, vitamin E and how it can help repair your skin. So sweet potatoes like carrots have carotenoids that can protect your skin from the sun. I eat these foods throughout the week, you guys, and they just help with your overall health. So now let's talk about your hair. Your scalp needs to be healthy in order for your hair to stay healthy. So if you are a black woman like me, know that we can develop traction alopecia and hair loss, especially if someone does our braids, crochet, dreads, and other styles tightly, and we add too many chemicals or too much heat into our hair, according to job John Hopkins. And You know, this has happened to my hair before when I put, you know, color in my hair or the hairstylist one time she put the wrong type of color in my hair and the chemical really damaged my hair. So it took me a few months to get back to my natural hair. So anyway... If you think you may have this often, it's good to talk to a dermatologist. I will keep that in mind. Hopefully that doesn't happen to me again, you guys, but who understands our hair? So check out the Skin of Color Society to find one near you. This has been Naomi with Dawning Diabetes. Thanks for tuning in today. Episodes are posted every other Thursday. Check out more episodes and please subscribe, download, and write a review. See ya.